0: Welcome to this podcast of "But Did You Die," podcast by Ops Medical Group with your host Craig, Mandy, Wendy and me, John. We are in acute care and emergency medicine clinicians. Our goal with this podcast is to provide education and entertainment by bringing you insights into our experiences to help you better understand critical aspects of medicine. We hope that our stories provide you both uh, an insight into the technical and human side of medicine. Our ultimate goal is to help you develop the technical, mental, and emotional tools to handle emergent events.
1: So how how has COVID really affected us in general? Probably the number one question. Well, I think overall from a planning perspective, like if you sit back and you're like, well, how has COVID affected your local emergency room and clinic and your nurses and your doctors and whatnot? there was a moment where it got kind of easy and we didn't really see a lot of patients and the few patients we did see, they were super sick. Uh, and at the same time, the hospital probably lost a lot of revenue because they had to shut down their operating rooms. But unlike Amazon or Uber Eats and everything else, you can't, you can't bill for stuff that doesn't show up. And so as folks start to look downrange and you know, into the future of what's gonna happen in healthcare, um, is there going to be a potential loss overall in the medical facility that you're currently working at? Probably, right? So, how do you fix it? Like, a, how, you know, if you really sit back and you're like, okay, how do I make my company more viable versus the other company or versus the other hospital?
2: I think that's a hard one because, <clears throat> excuse me. Um healthcare is one of those industries that needs people to be sick to survive and thrive.
0: It's like an oxymoron. And
2: nobody yes, and unless nobody unless you
0: change the structure unless
2: you change the structure and
0: start rewarding individuals for healthy lifestyles, rewarding physicians for preventative medicine instead of I mean like there's there's a lot of procedures and uh scans images whatever that are not reimbursed by insurance cuz it's considered preventative medicine. Yeah. I mean
3: or even the you were talking about earlier like not pushing pills and doing things like biofeedback. That's not covered but maybe it should be.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bio- it would
2: be a I think lot better, healthier initial alternative instead of throwing a bunch of pills at people, and then now you've developed another problem. Uh, you've gotten people addicted to God knows what. And...
0: Or the adverse effects that come along with it, and you've got people who are like, well, why am I having this diarrhea now? It's like, well, it oh. is a side effect we know about. So I think, you know, the reward system is in place that we treat disease instead of prevent it. Because we're never going to prevent all the disease, right? Like, it's, we're still going to have disease it's not going away but we could improve it by preventing it
3: and I think ultimately these you're going to have some corporate death irregardless you have these big bloated overhead structures that have so much middle management and so many people who are not actually in the action so to speak working that are collecting paychecks for doing things like sitting behind a job. Just like the 200 kilo guy who smokes a pack a day is gonna die from COVID when he comes in with his pulse ox of 30, you know? These big bloated corporate structures are probably gonna die, especially depending on where they're located. So I think one, you have to reshape your reward system and two, you have to restructure. That's gonna be huge.
1: It also has to be, in my opinion, uh, a legitimate reward, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have all dealt with certain physician groups where they, you know, don't want to admit their patient for whatever reason because they don't want to lose their reward. And the reality is that patient needs to come in. but it has to be legitimate. It can't be this falsified, you know, questionable, hey, you know what, this is a, a, a real, no, your patient actually has to do well. It can't be some bullshit that you put on paper, you know, what we call pencil whipping. So if, if it's not pencil whipping, then it has to be some way to really track the legitimacy of how a patient is doing or this person in general. And that, that, to me, that would probably be the hardest part of trying to structure and reform how healthcare is delivered and reimbursed.
3: Yeah, that's going to require major um, reorganization on, like, a whole level government on down. Because, like, the whole the patient satisfaction-driven thing, obviously, we know doesn't work that well, unfortunately, and... What it does is it makes all these unnecessary... So you, to make your patient happy, have you ever ordered something they didn't need? Like a th- ray of their abdomen. That's like one of the easiest things. Somebody comes in with abdominal pain. You know it's nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. It's probably gastroenteritis, right? But they're like kicking up a storm. Well, you didn't even take a picture. You didn't even, It's what... It, you know, therapeutic radiation. Okay. Like.
0: But the... Yeah, the alternative is true as well—that you didn't do the X-ray and you get a complaint, and then the administration comes like, "Why was this patient unhappy?" It's like, I, I don't. Yeah. And so now, because I don't want to deal with a complaint, I'll just get the X-ray because it's not the radiation's minimal; it's not a big of a deal, right? And so, yeah, you're right. But let's say the radiation is completely zero; it's you're still wasting time and resources. And resources, yes.
3: I mean, so. You have to reshape
0: just the opportunity cost alone is present and Mm. you got to reshape it. You're right. But in order to do that, we've got to have buy-in from individuals that want to make changes in their own life and they want to say okay, I actually want to get better. I want to take some ownership in my own health care. I want to feel better and I recognize that feeling better means that I might have to make some sacrifices. I might not be able to eat a donut every day. I might not you know, I might need to get up and, you know, and walk a few miles in the morning before I go to work. And I might have to get out of bed a little bit earlier to do that. And eh, that kind of sucks. But you know what else sucks? A heart attack when you're 45. Because it just might be too late by then. But if we don't have, if we don't have buy-in from people, I mean, I, I guess one of the hardest things I feel like we face in the ER is, well, first of all, by the time patients get to us, oftentimes it's too late. Mm-hmm. And even when it's not... We don't have the relationship in a five to ten minute period that we need, even if the patient's there for several hours, our initial five minutes with them isn't enough to build enough trust for them to follow our advice, I don't think, maybe it is, if, if you're, maybe it is, I don't know, maybe I'm just not as good at building rapport that fast, but I feel like Because there's that missing trust that when I tell a patient, listen, you do need to be taking this blood pressure medicine that was prescribed by your primary physician. And you do need to be following regularly with your primary physician. I feel like it goes in one ear or out the other. And maybe it doesn't, but I don't see them again, so I don't have that that follow-up either. So it makes it challenging.
3: Well, I think part of the buy-in from the public in general is... It's negated by our culture of instant gratification and complete mistrust that social media like 100% breeds. So, that like totally, in the five to 10 minutes we had, if we, you're gonna be already knocked off whatever potential you had because when they want what they want, when they want it, most patients.
0: Yes, it's even further complicated by our own. Professionals, because oftentimes we don't play well in the sandbox. So you have mm-hmm. one physician saying something negative about another physician. Why? For business, mm-hmm. because you know they can build their business if they, you know, say, "Well, you don't want to, go to this other physician. He or she does it this way, and I do it this way, and this is the best." So, so you get some of that. Then you get the re- really incredible challenge that. Information changes. I mean, look at COVID. Within the span of two weeks, we went from intubating everybody to trying to intubate nobody. I mean, and and patients, I think. Uh, t- I take that back. People, I think, have difficult time with change. So you can only imagine. Mm-hmm. One minute, I'm telling a patient that he or she needs to take this medicine because this is the best evidence we have to date. You know, a year later, we have new evidence that is better that suggests something completely opposite. Kind of breeds a distrust among the public in our care. Yeah, because then they start
2: questioning, "Well, man, do you really know what you're doing? Like, this is what you told me last time I was here."
0: Well, and at the end of the day, no, I really don't, because everything is changing, and the human body is is an amazing piece of equipment that we don't know all about. We think we do, and just as soon as we think we know something, new information emerges and changes. So, you know, that's one thing where I think, as providers, we need to be humble. We need to make sure patients know, hey, listen, this is the best information that we have to date, and it might change. I hope it doesn't, but if it does, I want you to know that I'm trying to stay up on it, and we'll we'll make those changes. You know, again, kind of the, the education, but it's easier when you're having this relationship, a relationship with a patient, or at least I would assume it's easier, than when, you know, they meet you for the first time, and they say, well, my doctor said this, and now you're telling me that this medication might cause me to have this side effect. Well, maybe, maybe your doctor did tell you, and it, you didn't hear it. Maybe your doctor didn't tell you. I, I don't know. There's a whole lot of aspects to it. Yeah. But there has to, be some, there has to be some ownership by the individual in his or her own, own health care.
2: Yeah, and I think going back to um, change... I think with COVID now, if businesses don't learn to adapt, they will, a lot of them will go by the wayside. And unfortunately, just because so many places were on lockdown, there were so many, you know, smaller mom and pop businesses that just didn't make it. Um, But I've seen a lot of, this sounds funny, but I think now I've seen a lot more food trucks everywhere. Now that like restaurants didn't survive and closed down, which I'm happy for them, but you know, you got to innovate. You got to come up with plan B. Yeah,
0: and I think that's. There was a, gosh, I can't remember. There was an economist who, a long time ago, 100, 100, anyway, his premise was, gosh, what is his name? Starts with an M, and I'll look it up later. We'll put it in the show notes if we ever do show <laughs> notes. Um, and his premise was, you know, by the year you know 1850, or whatever the date was, um, we will have too many people on planet Earth to provide food, and we will have mass famine. By the time 1850 rolled around, we had developed new innovative technology where we had plenty of food to feed all the people in the world. So the idea that like there's limited resources. That's sort of true, but then there's always things that come out that you're like, wow, I never thought about that. That's pretty amazing, and new technology emerges, but with new technology, old jobs go away, and new jobs are created. The problem is if you're in that group of an old job, and you're 55, 60, about to hit retirement, it's a lot harder to adapt than that 15, 20-year-old who's growing up with this new technology. It's not fair, but it's life, and life just isn't fair. I mean, it just, you know, that's this other, a whole other issue that we don't want to get into. But again, people have to adapt. They've got to be flexible. And they're going to be able to adapt and be flexible a hell of a lot more easily if they've taken care of themselves, because I feel like their mental strength will be there when those changes happen. And they'll be able to say, okay, now I've got to learn how to type. I mean, I use that as an example because I can't type.
2: <laughs> it's painful to watch you yeah. sometimes. Uh.
0: No, it is. It is. And, in, and, and yet, I, like...
2: Do you type like my husband does? With it's embarrassing fingers? as
0: hell. It's embarrassing as hell. And, like, I make it, and I kind of do it, and I hit backspace a whole lot. I miss backspace a lot. I'm like, wait, I didn't even hit that. And then I'll hit the... The, the plus the, sign the or plus the, sign. the yeah. underscore. Yeah, yeah it's, it's embarrassing. But lo and behold, some awesome genius came up with the dictation system. And now I can just dictate. And
2: Man, I know, love that system. Yeah. It's so much easier. Yeah.
0: So it's, you know.
2: The speed of sound moves faster than my fingers. That's for dang
0: sure. Yeah.
2: and uh, I can type okay, but man, I'm not like. I'm not a scribe. I'll tell you that.
0: No, but we are going to have to. Businesses are going to have to be innovative. Physicians are going to have to be innovative.
2: So, New what do you kind of. think about healthcare now and how they've really embraced telemedicine? So, I think how tel- do you think that will change? So I think telemedicine
0: us. has a lot of benefits. I think telemedicine has a place and will, for for here on out, keep a place. But there will never be a substitute for being able to listen to heart sounds and palpate the abdomen. It just, you know, you you can do some things on telemedicine. But you're not going to be able to do all things. Um, I think it hopefully opens the door to a lot of patients who might not otherwise be willing to come to the hospital. That having been said, there's still a whole lot of people that don't have access to the internet easily so it may not change
2: yeah i've heard that from uh some of the private practice guys that have you know they have their tele appointments set up and it's usually there was a bad connection or grandma or grandpa had the appointment made by a grandchild and lo and behold like the grandkids not there to facetime with them and grandma doesn't know how to use her phone or she's got the old school flip flown. So you can forget that. So yeah, I've heard different stories about that.
0: I think, I mean, I I think it's got a place. I think it's got potential. Um, talking to my colleagues in psychiatry, it's been really good for them. They've, especially through COVID when they couldn't see the patient. Um, I think that it may be more challenging if you've, you know, have a need to do a, a thorough physical exam. Um, so I, but I, but I like its potential.
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely a foothold. I don't think it's going away. I agree, but it's not a substitute or a replacement for a physical exam. Right. Like I but vividly it- remember as a new nurse, somebody like came in for chest pain, and the nurse that was taking care of them did not undress them, but the provider did to auscultate. The chest pain was actually I had been stabbed oh. in the chest with an ice pick. But it was like a spousal abuse situation. So couldn't say out front in the open when they're together, oh, I've been stabbed. But if nobody had dressed and done a physical exam yeah. and looked at the skin, that would have been missed. So I don't, there's not a, there's not a substitution for
0: a no. physical exam. So I don't think. But, but then again, there, you know, we also see patients in the emergency department. For medication refills, so like oh, yeah. you need a medication refill, that's a perfect place for telemedicine. I mean, you need you know some, and again, I used psychiatry as an example. Not that,
2: yeah, you know what? i never thought about psychiatry, but that like perfectly fits them right there.
0: Yeah, you now, know? I've worked in hospitals where they have teleneurology, which is kind of interesting. I know some neurologists who are adamantly opposed to it, and some who are not. Um, it seemed to work fairly well. At the hospital where I worked, because there was an emergency physician, boots on the ground, so to speak, doing the exam along with the neurologist watching the exam. And then the neurologist could say, Oh, will you have him or, sh- or her do such and such? So it was a kind of a, a co exam, so to speak. That seemed to work well because then the neurologist could view the physical exam and I could communicate directly what I'm seeing, hearing, or so that seemed to be, be beneficial. Um, but
2: yeah, I, I could mean. see that because there's not a whole lot of auscultation or palpation going on when you're doing that kind of neuro exam. Yeah,
0: yeah, but if
1: I do see a gap, so I'm I'm already seeing a gap uh, with it. When let's 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 talk about like how it would relate to the vaccine, right? So. Yeah, folks. We have uh, FEMA creating super centers in the state of Texas that is, you know, putting up all these centers to to vaccinate all these thousands and millions of people. I don't know who brought it up. Somebody brought it up about you know, grandma doesn't have you know this, that, and the other. Um, that is actually a bigger gap than people realize. It's not just grandma. So you know, grandma doesn't just have it. It's it's in the country, it's in the inner city, where a lot of folks are really upset with television and don't even turn on their TV. They've actually gotten rid of their TV. So that, what do they do is they pick up their phone, their home phone that they still have their landline and they call a hospital and they say, hey, you know what I wanna do? I wanna get vaccinated, right? It would be the same thing for telemedicine, right? So they call in and they're like, hey, this is what I wanna do. And the hospital says, well, you know what, we can't give it to you because we're only doing our our staff and our staff's family or whatever. So they go, well, where can I turn to? Well, I don't know, but I would probably go to a government website.
0: And there's your gap. How big is that? Do, do we know? Do we know? how many? I mean, how many, I'm assuming, in the millions?
1: You know, it's... I, f- For me, like you know, you sit here and and we talk about you know the issues that we have in the emergency room, and that's just like the that is the icing on the cake. That's what we see, right? We see the icing on the cake. We don't ever see the entire cake. And then, of course, once we get that icing, it's either good and we can send it back home, or it's bad and then we admit it. but the underlying theme underneath is probably a lot bigger than probably we realize.
0: Yeah, you're right, because, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I know nothing's 100%, but I feel like 100% of the patients that we see in the ER are on their cell phone in one way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, and, um, and you're right, and, for, the, and, for
0: the most part. But you're right, That's that's just what we see. That's what we see,
1: yeah. It's not what's really going out in the community, and, you know, what you see – You know, what I hear from certain folks is like, okay, so your kid goes to school, your kid's on the internet, but your kid watches what while he's on the internet? He's on YouTube, he's, you know, watching South Park most of the time or some crazy TV show, but he's not ever paying attention to the news. And then, you know, mom doesn't get on the news and then grandma doesn't know about the news. And so there's a whole family, and then the same thing's happening next door. It's, it's, you know, and then on top of it, you throw in how the education system, you know, is the education system saying, hey, you know what, by the way, you can go to these government websites if you need help with your health? No.
0: Well, not if you don't have the internet,
1: yeah. Yeah. but even at the schools, right? Like, I, I've never even heard of anybody saying, hey, you know, my kids have never come home and be like, hey, dad, you know, I learned about this today. Yeah, but it,
0: that's, I don't know, it's been a while since I've been in high school, but uh, most of us were pretty healthy in high school. I had, I had no interest in looking at... I feel I mean, like unless we that's still have, medical. like,
3: current events or something, though, like, it's part of... Yeah. Yeah, but something like well, some I yeah but we had the newspaper we had yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly good. right I, we had a I've, newspaper and on a
1: newspaper you could go and look and be like oh look yeah. look what's happening this weekend you could go to the weekend event the you know, newspaper is online
0: now <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly which is fine if you you know have online stuff but there's are they
3: taking out billboards i guess i have not seen one vaccine billboard i haven't because that would actually be super cheap but, and effective. I don't know if
2: I've paid attention enough to see if they have The, the
1: same billboards. thing, but if you think about it, like, okay, so if you relate that to a business, to a hospital, to whatever, are, mm-hmm. they, are they advertising the same way? Like, how, how, do, how do people really know when yeah, to Yeah, how go? are you
0: reaching the public?
1: Oh, you know what? I'm going to call EMS, and EMS is going to come
0: get me, and they're going to take me to a hospital, and that's where I'm going to go. Well, and one of the other things, to tie it back <laughs> yeah, into right. you know hospital Innovation, I guess, would be the way, is that hospitals in many circumstances had built their, this, I guess, m- more for the emergency room, but they had built their financial model around the fast-track patients that they could churn and burn, and they could build those patients and all that. Then COVID comes along, fast-track goes away, and yes, they had COVID dollars that came in from the government, but all that other income... Not only did it go away, it may stay away, because A, they might could do telemedicine, or B, they might just realize, oh, it wasn't that bad. I, should, I didn't even need to go to the ER. So next time, I probably won't go to the ER, because it turned out to be not that bad. So all that minor med stuff that the ER was able to sort of hyperbill because it was technically an emergency room visit, well, the finance department and the hospitals depended on that income. Then it went away, and I don't know that it's coming back. So. I don't know what that's going to look like going forward. Um,
1: It's a scary thought.
0: But that, you know, those, those patients, I know many in the leadership positions that I interact with do not anticipate those patients returning. They do not anticipate the fast track to return to what it was because of things like telemedicine. Also, because of more proactive, and this is, I think, a good thing, but proactive measures by primary care physicians that realized, if I'm not more interactive with my patients, and if something like COVID happens, I lose my patient, I, I lose my practice overnight. So they've made more of an effort, which I think is is a good thing for patients. I do think that's a good thing. Um, but hospitals, I think, need to sort of reevaluate. You know, placing so much en- emphasis. Maybe they weren't, I don't know, but it, it felt like that. Um, now that the, that business has kind of gone away, it may not come back.
2: You know, I didn't even think about that for primary care. I mean, if you think about it, some of these groups probably have lost, like, I don't know, maybe a quarter of their patient base just to COVID alone. I mean, and not so much like they died, but, you know, maybe now they're in a nursing home or a rehab that they don't go to. So you you just kind of lost your patient base there. Yeah. I didn't think about that.
1: Even nephrology groups. You know, I remember talking to a couple of nephrologists that were like, you know, my patients just decided not to come to dialysis because of COVID, and guess what? Yeah. You know, they're not around anymore.
0: Well, and then and then there's the other issue which is frustrating to many physicians because now the model is how many people can you see and how big can your practice be as opposed to what, what is quality. the, what, what's the maximum number of people you can see with quality care, right? Mm-hmm. Like the emphasis on quality as opposed to quantity because physicians are, you know, <laughs> you know, to pay your malpractice. And if you have any, uh, gosh, CME, you know, uh, di- different things like that.
2: I mean, and it's, it's, it's understandable, because you got to have a break-even number. I mean, it's a business. Yes. You have to have a break-even. Well, you hopefully, have, you're in the you've got, you've got a lease. You you've got to pay even, your
0: employees. You've got to pay yeah. your light bill. So you know you have to make X number of dollars just to run the business. And then it'd be nice if you could reward yourself a little bit for all the many years you spent in training. Um, and yet, to do that, you have to have many, 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 many more patience now than you did 20, 30 years ago. Because insurance companies have decided, well, we don't have to pay you as much. So you end up with more of a volume focus as opposed to a quality focus. Um, I don't think that happened overnight, but I do think if you look retrospectively, that's, that's what we've seen. And I think hospitals fall in the same category. You know, I sit in meetings and they talk about, well, you know, how, how can we get more people into the emergency department? How can we get more people into the hospitals? Like, okay, I mean... Do you really want to, like... It's like and you're that's like kind you're, of a messed kind of up morbid. notion yeah. when you think
2: about, like, how sick? many... It's not like, pe- can we how many people can people? I, like, I mean, get more... More people can I get into this restaurant? Or, you know, how many more people can I get, like, like into my salon chair? Like it's like, the how many be, how sick can we people? Out of the yeah. hospital? Like,
3: that should be the conversation. But even if you go back to what Craig was talking about and the lack of resources, maybe it's something as simple as, like, a community outreach. Like, because most hospitals only you go there because your grandpa went there or because of word of mouth in the community, or, you know, it's right down the street or you have no choice because EMS dropped you off and you don't want to be there because you know, your reputation is horrible, but maybe that's going to be part of COVID is reshaping how you interact with the community as a hospital, because you don't necessarily maybe want them to all come for fast track minor things because you don't want to be this super spreader anymore. Um, but your outreach in the community is going to have to be reshaped, refocused, and rechanged to ensure that you still have a patient base and still continue with new growth.
0: But I think that the smart hospitals, those that are competitive and will stay competitive in the market, Wendy's trying to drop her microphone. I I'm am. Gonna, I'm I you're you are going to eat
1: it.
3: I, <laughs> I thought like, It's still uh, on the
0: edge there. Uh, I, mean, just,
3: I know. Well, I living on the edge Living Aaron. on the awesome. edge.
0: But I think that the, the hospitals are smart and that are going to remain competitive, are going to find positions for individuals to, to do just that, to reach out to the community, to connect people in with the appropriate care. And you know what? If the appropriate care means you need to be in the hospital, be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But the goal shouldn't be how do we get more people into the hospital? The goal should be how do we keep people healthy and out of the hospital? I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're yeah, always going to have and if sick they people.
2: need the hospital, we are the choice.
0: Because we have people in place that have yeah. connected with community, the quality. and we bring the quality, yeah. and because all of a sudden we've reached out, well, yeah. Aww. But we're also not so focused on like fast track that we're overwhelmed. So when you get a sick patient, take your time with the sick patient.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you, you've got the time, you know, as, as opposed to you better hurry up because you got other people coming in with because you need to do a two and
3: a
1: half an hour. Yes, you know, I've and always enough. wanted to like meet the person that created the phrase fast track and just like beat them.
3: Punch them.
0: It's, it's I mean they
3: call it different things like rapid oh, medical they, assessment or, They
0: have idiotic things that they oh, like yeah. some quote smart person dreamed up that they're like we're going to now call it this. It's like when they There's the one with, that I've
2: heard power Oh my gosh. Oh wow. Yeah.
0: That sounds awful it in sounds so many ways. sounds like different
2: a tide ways. on steroids. Yeah. It, People that work there will know what I mean when I say I it, have so. T- I
3: don't t- t- <laughs> so I have a power pod.
1: Yeah. All I know and is I've, I've worked in some that have yeah. been, like, super painful. Like, I'm just thinking to myself, there's no way you're going to see 47 patients in 12 hours.
0: But, oh, yeah. But then, but then let's say you end up with a provider who sees 40 to 50 patients in however many hours in a shift. And that's the expectation. And they get on a treadmill. And the treadmill just goes faster and faster and faster. And they wake up one morning and realize they haven't gone anywhere. And the depression sets in. Mm -hmm. And the frustration sets in. Mm -hmm. And the job dissatisfaction sets in. And then they just realize, I'm just a number. This hospital doesn't care about me. I don't have a relationship with the patients. Um, And then all of a sudden, I'm just collecting a paycheck. So I'm checked out. And all of a sudden, the quality goes down because... Providers frustrated and demoralized. And I don't think anyone's immune to that. I, I,
2: I think it's more uh, pronounced after COVID.
0: I think, I think it's COVID, definitely more pronounced after yeah,
2: COVID. Yeah, really did a number. I think people that were on the edge of like, uh, I'm kind of tired and I'm burned the fuck out really flew past that edge quick. I really think so.
1: I don't think I've ever heard so much of the following phrase I feel defeated. Mm-hmm. I've heard that so many different times, uh, you know, obviously working with you in the ICU uh, repeatedly, is just... Every shift.
0: Yeah. Well, but the, And I can't, I, can, I, mean, I don't even know if I can imagine the ICU because you're watching it over weeks and months of deteriorating patients versus, at least in the ER, it's, we're talking minutes and hours. So that's, for me, psychologically easier to deal with that than you know, my months in residency spent in the ICU were fantastic. I got a great learning experience out of it, but I could not do it day in and day out because of the challenge, the psychological challenge of watching a patient deteriorate. And you get to know the family, you get to know, in some cases, you get to know the patient and you keep thinking, oh, this is going to get better, this is, and then it doesn't. And yes, defeat it. And I can only imagine COVID just took that and said, I'm going to really crush you all. I'm going to make you feel defeated. I'm going to make you.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably the hardest part. I'm really good at detaching from all of that, but from what I've heard from lots of people, like becoming... And you don't intend to... It, it's I think it's more of an emotional investment. You invest your time and energy in making sure these people have some sort of improvement and then it doesn't happen. You know? I think it's just... It's just been hard on so many people.
1: The uh, f- For me, I... Personally, watching some of the nurses go through uh, you know the counseling and the constant talking to the family members and trying to get them to understand what's going on and how emotionally spent they get, one, taking care of the patient, managing all the orders, managing all the stuff going on with these guys and then the second part is you know the the family dynamics takes a second toll on them and uh, that turns around and takes a toll on the physician staff at that point because then they turn around and they're angry with the physician staff and sometimes they're disappointed because they get as you guys know we get so busy it's like Uh, I will talk to them when I get a minute, right? And you're in the middle of something else, uh, an emergency that's actually happening in the ICU, and then you try to go back to it, and guess what? You can't. And then they hang up, and, you know, the nurses are, like, upset with you. and, uh, And I understand it, but at the same time, it's just one of those things where I've personally felt like, man, you know, I really put the burden on, the, on this person and I, and I didn't mean that and that's how it came out. So if you, you, know, you throw all that together, you know this big giant quagmire of COVID and everything else under the sun, then you're stuck in this situation. It's like, okay, well, so how, how is a business going to run? Right? How are you going to deliver quality? In it? How are you going to manage when something like this happens again? Um, and I was listening to, to Fauci talk about how you know, there's gonna be like a second strain and a third strain and there's gonna be another super spreader and all this other stuff. Uh, and I can't remember who he was arguing with, but he was arguing with somebody on the Senate floor. And I thought to myself, why does he think that? Like, Why does he think there's another strain coming? Like, what don't we know? And that's what, that's what worries me, right? So you're sitting here and you're like, okay, everybody's getting vaccinated or you've gotten sick which now you have some sort of immunity to it, which is good, and now you got to worry about another strain coming. And, you know, is it going to be worse, or is it going to be milder? I mean, I don't know. But I think about, like, all the business aspects of what can potentially happen and how it's going to affect our lives in the long run, which could be devastating, in my opinion, especially with poor, poor planning, you know, People are like, oh, it's not going to happen again. Uh, and guess what? We don't have to hire more nurses, and we don't have to hire more doctors, and we don't have to do this, and we don't have to do that. And then you're sitting around, you're like, oh, my God, we need more nurses. We need more doctors. Oh, we need smarter doctors. and we need smarter nurses. or oh, we need educated doctors. And, you know, it just, and you, you, you're sitting around, and you're thinking to yourself, like, people have been talking about this for over a year now. It hasn't gone away. Even though we have a vaccine. It's never going away.
3: I mean, it's just not. Like, it's forever changed. Like, I don't know why people... I hope it gets better. I hope we get to a point where masks aren't, like, something that kids go to school with. You know, and those kinds of things. But I don't think it's ever going away. I think that's unrealistic at this point.
0: I don't think it's going away, but I think people will get more comfortable with it. I mean... I think the Fairfax. I don't the flu, think. I mean, I don't think away. it's ever going to go yeah. away either. But, but I don't think they shit the, themselves over it.
2: I don't know. I have so
0: many qualms, but whatever. Unless it's like avian. Unless it's avian. That's true.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Not to date myself, but we all remember that
0: pandemic. Yeah, but I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's 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 here, and I think people will when we read to the newspapers. It. The newspapers, yes. The print we're old, <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, you or know, swine
3: flu. Do you remember oh, that? One? Swine
2: flu,
0: yes. one in one. But but throughout history, the businesses who have survived have innovated. Yes, they have maintained a competitive advantage, and hospitals will be no different.
3: We're going to have to be.
0: We have to be competitive. We have to be innovative. And we have to prove that our innovations are beneficial to patients, mm-hmm. just like a company has to prove that his products are beneficial to its customers or his or her services are beneficial to the customers. If we prove to our patients that our interventions are beneficial, people come to us. I mean, why do people fly to MD Anderson for cancer treatment? Because they've established a reputation of excellence. Why do people fly to St. Jude Children's Hospital for Treating children's cancer. I mean, there's a reason they fly in from all over the world mm-hmm. because these people have established a reputation of excellence. So the hospitals that are able to do that, and it doesn't have to be cancer research, it could be, you know, pick your specialty, but if you are able to establish a competitive edge and prove... That's the key word. The competitive edge. The competitive edge, yeah. Yep. And, and prove... Uh, that you're providing superior outcomes for patients, if the patients are able, they will go there. I was reading an article a couple months ago about a, a hospital in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. And I don't even remember the name. It was like a town of less than 50,000. And um, they were about to go under. And there was a, an OB group that they still had a pretty good patient base, and so they just invested a good bit in the hospital but they also got together and they were able to attract some of the outlying some of the outlying um, primary care groups to send their pregnant patients high risk pregnant patients into this hospital that the family docs didn't feel comfortable managing and all of a sudden they became the center of excellence for OBGYN high risk care now there's like a 500 mile radius that this hospital now gets not just OBGYN patients from, but other patients from because they built a reputation of excellence through their OB department that extended into, now we can hire a better hospitalist. Now we can hire a better neurologist. And, you know, all of a sudden they're, you know, featured in some, I don't know if it was the economist or it was some well, like national magazine. Um, anyway, uh, but, again, they established a competitive edge.
3: If you build it, they will come.
0: Depends on where you build it, though. <laughs> true.
3: But, apparently, even, apparently in, the even in the middle of nowhere, of nowhere Kansas, Kansas.
0: So, <laughs> But, again, it's like, if you build it, they will come is partially true. If you build it, they will come if there's quality. I mean...
2: Yeah, that's true. Because okay. uh, I'm not making a, you know, 100-mile trek for... Some half-assed care. No.
0: Yeah. But if you... So there was a, there was a guy out... He, he wrote a book about negotiation that I've been reading uh, through my class. And the guy's name is Stuart Diamond. And the book is called Getting More. And the idea is, you know, how can you... Negotiate to get to get more out of the deal, but he uses a lot of different examples, but one of the examples he used was he had um, extensive coronary disease that required a bypass, and there was a particular surgeon in New York that he wanted that was world renowned for his uh, expertise in cardiovascular surgery and this negotiation expert uh, con- reached out to him and his office said, I'm, I'm sorry, you're you know, he, he's booked, he's not gonna be able to get to you until you know two thousand forty five, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um and so he um so he got to I guess he found an, an email address for the surgeon. Emailed him and said, Hey look I was uh, I was looking into some of the research that you do and I'd, I'd love to volunteer for one of your trials or whatever. And just, I, and oh, by the way, I, I also I really need a, a, a coronary bypass surgery, and I'd like you to be a surgeon. Well, the surgeon was actually impressed that he contacted him and had looked into his research, mm-hmm. reached out to him and said, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll do your surgery, and thanks. I would love the fact that you looked at my research, and I'd love you to be uh, one of my, in my, one of my trials. So you know, this guy showed an interest in someone and found a way to have a competitive edge to get in to see this surgeon. The interesting part about this is this was the same surgeon that Bill Clinton tried to get in to have done. And whoever was managing the, the VIP wouldn't tell the surgeon who it was. He was like, they just said, it's a VIP. And he's like, that doesn't mean anything to me. So Clinton didn't get his surgery done by this guy because he, he never made a connection. Yeah. And so in this particular example, the, the connection was the competitive advantage. Just, it, it, and again, it, it might have literally saved the guy's life, um, but a competitive edge.
2: Nice.
0: Just thought it was interesting. But I was talking a lot, so... <laughs>
1: Having a competitive edge with a good reputation is is I so for you know when I think about certain hospitals and you know for something that you said you know like we sh- hospitals should actually be trying to push to keep people out which I think for a a big majority and you know, I think of like a teaching institution which is what they do right they they really push to keep people out of the hospital versus bringing them in. Um, and even for probably a lot of family practice folks they probably want to keep their patients home versus you know putting them in the hospital trying to have a competitive edge when you have a questionable reputation and trying to change the dynamics of it is going to be really difficult
0: yes you will never have a competitive edge that is sustainable without being able to produce quality outcomes. You, you might initially be able to fake it, but over time, it will not be sustainable. Over time, if you are not providing quality service and quality care, quality product, you won't last. doesn't matter how competitive you are.
3: I really wish we had a video right now
0: it's pretty funny isn't it
3: <laughs> because we have a long horn <laughs> literally there's, tapping on the building there's a, definitely a texas texas <laughs> you definitely horn. know when you're yeah. in, texas. We're in
2: texas yes yeah.
3: slash podcasting get yeah. text. <laughs> <laughs> can't,
1: can't make it up it's definitely a different environment when you have uh dr hamilton sitting on a bale of hay yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we
3: should, like, take pictures of that. Because people will not believe us, though. We're going to be like, these
1: guys are drunk off their ass, full of shit, one of the two. No, with the tractor right next to them. Yes.
2: Yes, yes. that's how. You know, I didn't even think about that, yeah. Very uh, Texas that's picturesque.
0: That is, our com- that is our competitive edge. Right there.
2: <laughs> the tractor and the longhorn, definitely.
1: It's definitely a sign of humility. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, definitely. I'm enjoying the shit out of it. I'm not.
3: It. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Smile. You're on the. We're going to upload you so that way you guys can all see. <laughs>
2: that's going to be great. That's too funny.
1: People are like, so they just like stop podcasting and no, no, started playing. Oh, yeah, that's true. No, yeah. we're,
0: still no we're still here. No, we're still <laughs> here.
2: You were just, you just know, stop. sometimes you have to stand in all of this. <laughs>
0: Longhorn, hey, no, you
2: know, yeah.
0: She's, she's huge. Yeah. Where's the dog? Oh, She probably. Over there. The dog's
2: over there, yeah. She's trying yeah. to chase the dog, I think. Or yeah. Uh that's true.
3: All right. So, final thoughts?
2: I think COVID quality. has taught
0: everybody a lot about teamwork. Teamwork. Quality over quantity. Yeah, and quality. We, we, we have to get back to a quality mindset. You know, they have, hospitals have the the quality control department and the quality assurance department and the quality, pick your term that they use, but everyone's got to buy into it. Mm -hmm. And it can't be a catchphrase. It has to be something that people buy into and believe in, down to the hospital maintenance group. I mean, it's, everyone plays an important role and everyone has to know that they play an important role Everyone has to be treated like they play an important role. I understand that there will be different salaries for different individuals. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't be treated like they're equally important. And I think that's one of the things where hospitals can set themselves apart and have a competitive advantage for its employees by the way they treat their employees. I agree. And I think that that is going to be a whole separate type of quality that the hospital provides that it's providing to its employees as well as its patients. But if if the if the emphasis is only on how many people can we see in a day that's only going to be sustainable for a short term and if the emphasis is on how can we get people healthy and that way if we do have an unfortunate covid-like situation where there's a, an influx well okay we can we can flex up but we've got the focus on the quality and we've got systems in place to, to keep that that quality high
2: yeah, I think COVID has taught everybody a lot about being adaptable. Healthcare and businesses. I mean, you adapt or you you die, unfortunately. It's that whole competitive edge thing. Mm-hmm.
1: So. it is I also think, uh, well, I probably I should say no at this point. People not only had to adapt, but we had to go back into things that you know, we kind of left behind, and I, for me, would be you know, walking back into the ICU, uh, and even taking the time to educate some of the nursing staff and physician staff on what I saw versus what they saw because they got so acclimated doing the same thing over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even for yourself, you know, and then going back and doing big procedures versus just doing little tiny procedures, you know, and that we were so used to like, oh, I uh, I could go drop a central line; that's no big deal oh, now I'm putting chest tubes in. Oh, now I'm, now I'm putting quentin catheters in. You know, it's just, uh, yeah. And that is the competitive edge when you can up your game to compete, you know, against a virus and against other, you know, to counteract everything that's going on with it. That That's, to me, probably... Uh, the number one thing, and then how to change your business dynamics when it comes to it, because you have to.
0: Well, I think for, whether it's, you know, business executives, nurses, doctors, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, having a sort of uh, a humble but drive to continue to learn is in and of itself a competitive advantage. Absolutely. If you haven't done a central line in 20 years and you're like I can't I can't well if you say you can't then you can't but if you're like you know what I need to brush up I need to 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 relearn how to do this and you're humble enough to say that okay I do need to relearn this but you're willing to do it that's a competitive edge right there I agree
3: you know I agree because I say all the time I don't know let me try
0: (laughs) anything else Mm -hmm. awesome Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time. Our hope with this podcast, But Did You Die?, is to provide education and entertainment by bringing you insights into our experiences to help you better understand critical aspects of medicine. We hope that our stories provide you an insight into both the technical and human side of medicine. Our ultimate goal is to help you develop the technical, mental, and emotional tools to handle emergent events. If you are interested in learning more about the training and consulting services offered by Ops Medical Group and how our leadership and teamwork platforms can be of service to your hospital, medic teams, or business, you can contact us through our website, opsmedicalgroup.com, which is opsmedgrp.com, and please follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Lastly, Although we are medical professionals, we are not your personal medical professional. This podcast is in in no way to serve as diagnostic information or advice, nor is it to replace any personal medical care that you may need. If you are worried that you may need medical care, please see your private physician or closest emergency department. If you think that you need emergent care, please dial 911.